0: Feelings of insufficiency breed competition. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well. It is a Sunday night here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I got the feeling like I needed to come in on here and talk with you. I uh, was having a long conversation with my mom on the phone, and I find that often when talking to my parents... Or my close friends. um, These ideas have a way of coming out. And so I want to try to capture the conversation or the the mental space that I'm in right now. um, After talking with my mom. Because I think we had a very good conversation. And it was centering around that idea I just said earlier. It's something like the feeling of insufficiency inside of an individual is what drives them to prove in the external world that they are better than other people. And I think that's a good definition of competition. As a matter of fact, let's define it. Hold on one second for me. Definition of competition. The Google definition of competition is the activity or condition of competing an event or contest in which people comp- compete, excuse me. And the person or people with whom one is competing, especially in a commercial or sporting arena, the opposition. Let's stick with that one. In order to view somebody as your competition, you have to label them as an other in some way. You have to place them outside of yourself. You have to believe that they have some desire to be better than you, quotation marks, right? If you think about that within yourself, and it's what I've tried to do here tonight, It the only reason you'd want to prove your worth to other people is because you feel... Like those people don't understand or see what you are. And if we go a little further, it could even mean, and I think this is a little more accurate, that you as an individual feel insufficient in some way in regards to that person, That you as an individual need to do something in the external world to prove to them definitively, quotation marks objectively, that you are better than them in whatever avenue you're approaching. There's an aspect of our society that embraces and celebrates competition, economically especially. We celebrate this competitive drive within the human, the individual. And I think it's partially because there is a certain way in which competition forces people to exert themselves, it's a way in which we compel people to use energy. And when you place competition within an economic system and you center it, the economic system on competition, what you do is kind of demand a certain amount of energy out of people, right? When you place competition as your sole virtue, what you demand of people is for them to prove externally that they are better than everybody else on that playing table, everybody else within that society, everybody else economically. And I think if you look at the world, I think it's pretty obvious to see what that can produce, not always, but what that can produce, I would argue probably more than not produces, is something like egomania. It produces something, a cycle of sorts. A cycle in which people look to the external world for vindication of their of their worth another odd thing we've done economically is attached individual worth to monetary value to accumulation of things external things and we use those things and that money as a way to easily demonstrate our dominance easily demonstrate that we are better at a basic level than the people that are also competing in that arena and that the assumption is at least in our economic system that the best individuals rise to the top the cream rises to the top in that I don't know if that's true I think we've devi- we've defined the cream incorrectly. Because the best individuals, the most influential individuals and the the ideas that are the most meaningful almost never immediately have a monetary value. The ones, the ideas that would really truly benefit humanity as a whole. Not that they can't, not that those two paths can't cross. I think they can, you know. The world's a very complex place but that in general it creates a false idol we worship money and things because money and things are the things that define our value to the world and so we focus on them we place money and things on a pedestal and by things I mean houses and cars and really anything Anything that you could take out into the world, show somebody, and they would want. Anything that would create a desire inside of them to attain the same thing, right? I believe that's a worship of sorts. That's why I referred to it as a false idol. That in that process, we focus wholeheartedly on... lifeless things. Things lacking soul, things lacking individuality, things that anybody could have if they play the game right. I think the process of idolizing these things has created a certain set of virtues is distilled what we consider it's it's created a certain archetype it's something like the entrepreneur it's something like the it's something' it's, it's it's something like assuming that individuals with the most worth have a gravitational pull, and that gravitational pull attracts our idols, money, and things. I want to bring it down from the economic talking point here and try to connect it a little bit more with your everyday life. One of the ways that you can recognize this competitive aspect and the way it seeps into everything that we've created almost a deity out of competition. Excuse me. One of the ways you can see that is in the way that people interact with their friends, sometimes even their family, that we've actually internalized this, and we really do believe, I think especially if you're grounded in a secular worldview it's very, very, very difficult, even if you define yourself as a humanist to keep yourself from constantly trying to prove your worth externally, to constantly try to compete with the people around you. Even when it comes to the people that you would objectively say you love. The people that you care about the most, quotation marks. Because what I've found in my life, and it's a hard realization to have when I try to look at this concept and try to apply it in my life, what I've found is that the people that I consider friends often compete with me There's a weird way in which if you truly believe that money and things are the thing that represents your worth, you can't help but try to exert that in your personal life. Sometimes even with like your significant other, that people have a way of competing with the people that they quotation marks love, but the product of competition Every time, if you're on the receiving end of that competition, if you're not, let's say, let's say you're in a space where you're you genuinely love an individual. genuine love, deep love, care about the person they are, the soul they are at a deep level. that if somebody brings in this competitive attitude into that kind of environment, What will happen is the person playing that game will win that game. But what it inspires inside of the individual that is there for something other than that is a feeling of discouragement. It's actually a feeling of insecurity. It's a feeling of lack of care. Because innate in that competition is the desire to describe to that individual that you're better than them and to demonstrate it, to force them to see it. If you're competing with someone. You're trying to force that other individual to see that you're better than them in this or that way. And God, if I haven't had a lot of quotation mark friends do that to me throughout my life, I've done it to other people too. I'm guilty of the same thing as well. But I do believe that there's a way in which we can strive for something better in ourselves. That even though people try to compete with you, you don't necessarily need to compete back. And that once you stop that competition, what you realize is that happiness actually doesn't come from the winning of any kind of competition, any kind of external force, any kind of external representation of what you think you're worth is. That what it actually... That what, what, what happiness comes from is something like truth. The expression of everything that you are, unbounded. And your ability, through expressing that, to bring absolute and utter beauty into the world. Especially when you're dealing with somebody that is on that same kind of level, that is trying to do the same thing. When two souls come together in that way and both have the intention of expressing exactly who they are in every aspect, sometimes, a lot of times what you'll find is that maybe you're not a match. Maybe there's some kind of resonant quality that doesn't match right with you. But also what it allows you to do is start thinking at that level of who resonates with me Who's vibrating at the same frequency as me? I believe one of the reasons we don't look at this or view most people in the modern world, don't view um, happiness this way, is because also what it will make you realize in today's world, they will make you feel exceedingly, exceedingly lonely, deeply lonely. Because you don't resonate with everybody. You're not the same as everybody in that regard. You are very individualistic. Your soul is very specific. And what that entails or asks of you is, it's this journey of sorts. It's like, oh, well, then I got to look real hard, real long. And I also have to hold myself to a high standard. I have to say, I'm not going to stop and settle for anybody who resonates at a different frequency than mine. It requires faith and trust. It says, I believe there is something out there that resonates with me, some person, some individual, some group of friends. It doesn't have to be romantic. And that if you're willing to view happiness in that way, it'll demand that you look for it. that it also forces you to in a weird way judge the decisions you've made in the past how you've dealt with other relationships in the past it, it demands that you, you look critically at your life and people do not like to do that People left to their own devices. Disconnected from something higher or a deeper meaning, do something like search for comfort and associate comfort with happiness. Because comfort is easy. And I think it's a very hard argument to make. It's hard to, it's hard to argue that there's been any other time in recorded human history where there has been more of an excess of comfort then right now you'd kind of sound crazy to try to say otherwise it's the most comfortable time in human history I guarantee you as you listen to this you're listening to on bluetooth headphones or a car stereo driving around sitting sitting down with air conditioning right with numerous amounts of food directly around you all you have to do is pull out a wallet and purchase it right no work involved, simply the comfort at your beck and call. It doesn't only stretch to food, it stretches to the things that I have talked about. Then, oftentimes what people will do, what most people do, is they associate this comfort with happiness because they don't want to recognize that happiness requires what I was talking about, something like a deep suffering. A sacrifice of sorts. What sacrifice, you ask? Well, whatever your deepest fear is. It's always that. What must you sacrifice? You must risk having your deepest fear come into reality. That's what you have to sacrifice to find true happiness. Very uncomfortable. The hunter doesn't go and and, and get a kill without venturing into the forest, ripe with predators trying to kill him. Or her. You have to sacrifice your well being for the ability to eat, to have comfort. That fundamental equation has been hidden from us in the modern day because of the excess of comfort. We don't associate success with sacrifice anymore. We don't associate freedom with responsibility anymore because responsibility is the sacrifice. There's also a very weird way, and I've noticed this with my friends, that expressing this viewpoint, when you say it to people, they don't respond very well, usually. And I think there's a reason why they don't respond. It's partially because of what we just went over. Because people are really locked in this mode of thinking that there's no, it's not necessary to suffer. It's also not necessary to be critical of yourself because being critical of yourself is a form of suffering. It's uncomfortable as hell. It's one of the most uncomfortable things you could ever do. How am I not well put together? In what ways do I mess other people up? In what ways do I hurt other people? In what ways do I hurt myself? In what ways do I lie to myself? What ways do I keep myself from moving forward or actually experiencing what my true desire is? Why do I hide my true desire? Why don't I speak it out every day? Why don't I tell people that I'm an amazing singer? Why don't I practice it? It stems from insecurity. Disconnected from a higher purpose or a true meaning, a deep meaning. Disconnected from... Your individuality—you're nothing but a consuming thing. You're almost—you're a, a mechanistic thing, as secularism would describe you. Something that needs a certain amount of caloric intake to sustain itself, and a certain amount of comfort. But that you're not that. There's a whole, whole, whole lot of people lying to themselves in today's world. Not only are they lying to themselves, but they have been led astray. By a worldview that tells them they're the center of the universe. By a worldview that tells them that consciousness has no meaning. By a worldview that tells you that this is all there is. So you better live every day to the fullest. What does living to the fullest mean? Well, let's get some things. Let's take some vacations. Let's get a lot of money. Let's get a lot of power. Oh, what do you see people doing? Don't believe me. Look in the world. These are not healthy things. These are egotistical things. These are lies. These are facades. I believe there's a reason why. I believe, I believe that the idea of evil, specifically in Christianity, the idea of Satan himself, We've gone over before. Over before, when we were going over Dante's Inferno, we were going over the different virtues and the different uh, sins, right? That Satan is, a, in, as a character, is something like a trickster, and is something like an entity rooting against humanity itself. Now, I believe that the idea of the archetype of Satan is a representation of the human ego. That it's a way in which Christianity, and I think it's one of the reasons why it differs from Eastern religions, is there was a necessity in some way for uh, us to externalize as we had externalized God. Um, and actually embodied him through a figure like Jesus Christ in the external world, uh, there was a necessity to have an idea of an externalized ego. And that the way you do that is to anthropomorphize in some way, to create an archetype, an idea of an individual that represents what the fundamental aspects of the ego are, what its function is. And I believe that the function, the reason that Satan is associated with a trickster is because the function of the ego is to trick you. What it does is tricks you. It tricks you out of actually realizing who you are. It tells yourself, it tells you that you are the only thing in the universe. It's literally one of of, the reason that Satan was cast out of heaven in the biblical stories is because he questioned God thought himself higher, his judgment higher than the highest being in existence. The audacity that comes with that is something like the ego. It's an embodiment of the ego. And that each and every one of us has this living inside of them. To some extent. And the reason that Christianity paints Uh, good and evil as locked in a timeless battle a never ending battle is because it is aspects of the human they are aspects good and bad are aspects of the human being that what good is is something like the expression of individuality true individuality truth itself and that what bad is, is something like the holding back of it. And I believe the reason why we've talked about the ego in these podcasts and why the point of a lot of this work has been to try to tear down the walls, the things that you've created inside of yourself that tell you you're something you're not, is because the ego is what holds you back. It is what tricks you out of connecting to your deeper purpose. It is what hides it from you most of the time. It's the things you tell yourself. It's the comfort that you desire because the comfort is a numbing agent of sorts. Those things do nothing but numb your desire to find out what you are. It's why we, people don't like being alone. Oh my goodness, I just watched a show last night and I'm really glad I thought of it. Burt Kreischer's The Cabin. Go watch that show. I, I, it was supposed to be funny and entertaining. I found it deeply disturbing. Because what Bert did, and I don't mean to be overly critical of him, but what Bert did is something like take the process of spirituality, spiritual awakening, the examples and the, the philosophies that people have, have developed throughout history through true suffering and made light of them. Now, I, I'm not saying that comedy doesn't have a place. I think it does. Comedy is very crucial. This is, in a lot of ways, a comedy, life in general. But... Objectively, if you watch that show, that's I shouldn't say objectively, but my subjective view of that show is that Burt Kreischer has something of a problem, a very deep problem that I've seen represented in a lot of people in the modern day. And I think oddly enough, he represent he's a very good representation of what a lot of people struggle with addiction itself. Feeling of insufficiency. Where does addiction come from? Exactly that. It's a numbing agent. You can be addicted to things, or people, or places, right? You can be addicted to going to church. It can be a numbing agent as well. There was a nece- I also think Nietzsche was right in this, that there's a necessity for the institution, the externalized ins- idea of God to die. It's necessary because people use it just like they use everything else, as a crutch. They use it as a drug. They use it to numb themselves. By going to church, many people, and I think it's what a lot of people have argued against and why people don't go to church is because they've seen a lot of people that use it as a ways, a means to build their ego, a means to tell other people and lord it over themselves that they're better than them, to compete with other people. I'm a good person because I've done this, checked it off my list this week. You aren't, right? I'm not trying to criticize people that go to church, right? If you go to church, go to church, right? I hope you're doing it for the right reasons. That's all I'm saying. Be critical of yourself. Why do you go to church? Does it fulfill you? Does it reconnect you with something like an internal dialogue? Does it connect you with your true purpose? Do you pull meaning out of the things that you see at church? Or do you go there to check off the list? To tithe in a way? There was a necessity to kill that off. Because what you're left with, if you kill off the externalized idea of God or externalized idea of something bigger than yourself what you're left with is a conception of yourself as all-powerful it's the only way to think well if there's nothing bigger than me then I'm it right and what comes out of that what does that sound like Satan tricking ourselves into thinking we're the only thing and that we're actually in control of everything. Those numbing agents, whatever you use as a numbing agent is holding you back more than you could ever imagine. Because it's stopping you from seeing that the 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 fundamental formula that will provide the happiness that you so badly desire, that we all so badly desire, is the suffering you don't want. You're hiding from exactly what you need. Everybody is. There's not a person on this planet that isn't hiding from something, some kind of fear, some kind of insufficiency. I think it's necessary for us people, evolutionary, in an evolutionary way. I, I don't think that that religion itself is disconnected from the, the, the way that the human being evolves. That spirituality is disconnected from that process. Why would it be? As I've said before, we're not, we're not foreign to this world. We're not alien to it. We come from it. What we view happening in nature, we would assume, most scientists would assume, has happened with human beings as well. You could go watch Ancient Aliens and say otherwise, but I think that's a hard argument to make, or prove at least. But, you know, you you can have your opinions, right? Everybody can. All I'm trying to say is I think that the spirituality aspect needs to evolve, and I think that's what's happening right now. I think there's a reason why things happen when they do. I think there's a reason why 2020 has been such an absolutely horrendous year, and I think it's something like the universe telling us you're getting it wrong. Why you see things on TV and movies getting more extreme, more radical, more violence, more sex, more nudity, more drug use. More numbing. More, 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 more. An unquenchable thirst. The devil is a trickster. He's not going to offer you something you don't want. Here's some comfort. The catch is, it doesn't last. So that what that creates is something like a pull, a chain that attaches you to that comfort. Because if you're associating it with happiness, if you're associating it with truth or some kind of meaning, if you're competing with other people and trying to lord it over them through these external things, you're going to have to constantly have more of it. Because there's always going to be somebody that has more of it than you. And you've attached your happiness to that thing. So shit, you got to keep going. What do you see people with the most money in the world do? Not all people. What do you see? A lot of people that that the, that the people that, if you were to conceptualize, that are very, I would say like the unhappy billionaire. They exist, don't they? Why do billionaires need to buy more and more things? These guys, these guys that we we rail against on the left, right? These corporate monsters and, and individuals that have accumulated so much wealth that it seems just absolutely asinine, disgusting at a level, right? How do you think they got there? Why do you think they have such an astronomically unimaginable amount of it? Because they've been seeking it continuously over and over again. And I'm sure if I talk to many of them, they've absolutely believed that that is a key to their happiness. I've seen many people say there's like songs that talk about it. You know, what was that one country song? Like, you can copy happy, you can. money can't buy happiness but you can buy me a boat right that that country song that's a good way to kernelize it you get bored of things you could say no but I think you're lying to yourself why do we need to produce new shit why does everybody need a new iPhone every year what, you still love your iPhone just like you did the day you bought it? Mm-mm. Why? Does it serve a different function? No. It's not enough anymore somehow. In some weird way. It just doesn't feel like it's enough. It's not comforting anymore. I better go get the new one. Round and round you go. And if you're good at that game, if you're good enough at that game, that competitive game, oh man, you'll accumulate a lot of bullshit. A lot. And then you'll actually try to lord it over people. Because that's the game you've been playing. That's the fundamental reality. There's nothing bigger than you. There's nothing bigger than you. Why shouldn't you have it all? If I'm innately ordained to be the thing that has it all, then let's show the world that. Oftentimes what people do, too, is they'll accumulate all this wealth and then they'll have their realization, right? Oh, I better do something good with this, you know? So you see people like Bill Gates and these kind of people going through and spending ridiculous amounts of money around the world, you know? Philanthropy, we call it. I think that's a way of trying to make up for past mistakes. For everything you've done wrong to get there. <laughs> not that you've done something evil necessarily, deeply evil. I mean, I would argue that, like I said, that game itself is an evil thing you're doing to yourself. But I'm not saying that you had to do something cheat like cheat in some way to get there. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying you've done something fundamentally wrong, something like sold your soul to the devil. And the only way you really realize that is to have everything you could ever think of. It's also why you see, I think, some kind of disturbing quality coming out surrounding excessive wealth. I think, you know, everybody's heard about the the Epstein thing, right? And the pedophile island. I think there's a reason that that exists. And it's because people, when they get to that level, they have a choice, you know, even they can try to take what they've done, everything they've accumulated and try to redistribute it. I'm not trying to argue for redistribution of wealth. I'll just put that out there, but they can try to redistribute it in some way that benefits other people and try to make good in the world, which I think is a good quality. At least it's, you're trying to do something in that way. I, I'm not trying to argue against that necessarily, philanthropy. But I'm trying to keep people from getting to that point to begin with, I guess is what I'm saying. But also, you can choose to continue that cycle. And once you reach that pinnacle of things where you can't buy more shit, where you can but the things cease to have their numbing effect because you've already bought the biggest fucking boat and you've already bought the biggest house and you've already accumulated 17 of them so I don't really want another one and you've already had, you see what I'm saying? Like, its you realize that you've gotten to the end of that road it doesn't work you start to look for things that are off limits It it produces a perversion it can produce a perversion inside of people I think we have examples of that and I think that's those examples are trying to be suppressed by exactly the individuals that take part in them. Oddly enough, those individuals also have to, happen to have a lot of power because we've designed our society off of money. Off of those, those idols actually being powerful. We've made them powerful. Those idols can't stand. They're false. They're not true. I think what's happening in 2020, folks, is the beginning of that downward spiral. I'm not trying to be a fearmonger. I'm trying to be as honest as I can with my, my perspective. And what I see happening in the world is something like a response from the universe. The entire West Coast is on fire. The world is engulfed in a quotation marks virus that has killed less people than the flu, right? You see the madness in what's going on. The lack of freedom that's starting to happen. uh, The blatant attempts for people to control the information that's getting to you. The blatant attempts of, you know, as as a corollary, the blatant attempts of those people to try to control your thoughts, you individually. Evil things. Evil things. I mean, wildfire is not necessarily evil, but it's a representation of destruction, of the more destructive side of nature, of death. So that what 2020 is really about, I think, is the death of that view, of this mode of doing things, this idolization of money and things. And what that demands of you as a listener is to do the work that we've been talking about not for me, for you because this world isn't going to end I, I don't believe it's going to end I believe it will transition just like it always does to something else and that change is a, a fundamental quality of existence itself And that you can either hold on to that change, or hold on to what you had before and try to keep it, or you can embrace the change. And being an early adopter of that kind of change is what produces the most success. Early adopters in any economic sense are usually the most benefited from it, right? If you bought Apple stock back when Apple was created, you're a billionaire right now. Same logic holds true with what I'm talking about now, with spiritual work, I think. I think we are transitioning into a new phase of life. We are evolving right now. But the evolution is something that is related to consciousness and spirituality. We've moved out of the necessity to develop the human being is something that has dominated the natural scene in a way. And I I say natural scene, nature is a weird word, but like in the way we use it, but, but we've, we've escaped the bounds of the natural world in a way. Our consciousness has allowed us to develop systems, which produce unlimited comfort, something that doesn't exist in the natural world. And so, what that's produced inside of the human being is something like a perversion, something like a downward spiral or a reversion to anything that would hold back that comfort or would tell you that it's not anything that would tell you that comfort isn't the law of the land in a way, right? And so we've held that belief as true. And in some ways, for a very, very, very short period of time, we're talking like... (laughs) On the timescale of the universe, it's not even a breath. On the timescale of the, or a blink of the, no, of, of, of the eye, even on the timescale of the solar system, right? That this, this thing is, that we've created, that we think is founded, this, this idea that the world is meant to become more and more and more comfortable, and more and more and more easy, more and more and more inhuman, is not true. It's supposed to be more in, that we're supposed to become at some level a deity ourselves. Why there's a desire by many in the scientific community to, to argue for some kind of simulation theory. Or also to argue that you are the thing that creates the world. There's there's this argument too that like nobody else exists except for me, that you see, which is like the most egotistical way you could view the universe ever. It's literally confusing yourself with God. There's no, I mean, the the universe itself. You're all that's that it is. I'm producing all of this is the idea, right? We've 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 gone down this road so far that we've ran out of ideas except for labeling ourselves as the center of the universe. Once we get there. We're in control of everything then. If we're the center of the universe, then we control all of this. Well, if we control all of this, then why can't we eliminate suffering? Why is the virus still spreading? We're wearing masks. We're social distancing. Many would say, well, everybody's not doing it. Well, okay. <laughs> what? In what way would you make everybody do it? You really think that there's a way or an, an actual... like? scenario in which every single person wore their mask perfectly. Even then, the masks are 95%. The the N93 or M93, whichever it is, the N93, I think, those masks are 95% effective. I just watched a podcast today with Tom Papa. They missed this uh, with Joe Rogan and Tom Papa. They missed this on there, but the masks themselves filter, uh, I think it's down to a level of 300 nanometers, right? Right the size of the particles or whatever you're trying to filter if it's any smaller than 300 nanometers it can get through the nit guess how big the virus is 40 to 160 nanometers the masks do nothing or even if they were perfectly capable of holding back the virus. I guess I can't speak for that, say that for certain. Let's say they are that effective. They're still, even those, those even the people that wear them say they're 95% effective. They're not 100% effective, right? So take that logic, right? Take that logic and apply it. If everybody wore the perfect mask that was 95% effective at filtering out a virus, you expand the timescale long enough, the virus gets out regardless because 5% multiplied over the longer time frame will eventually get to 100%. You get what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that we're checking ourselves into thinking that we can control something as big or as complex as a virus. As if it's, it isn't deeply connected to a purpose too. I mean, it's weird for me to try to argue for that, but... It's hard for me to, to view it in any other way. Things happen for a fucking reason. I don't think I'm the center of the universe. I think somebody else is, right? Something bigger than me. The universe itself is, is something much more complex than I could ever imagine. And so if something like this is happening, there's probably a fucking reason for it, or at least a function behind it. It's like us trying to stop wildfires. Wildfires serve a purpose. If they didn't, they wouldn't exist what purpose you ask the only way that you have new growth is for it to, the old growth to burn off we are at a point and I think that's what the virus is in a way is a very in a very odd way the universe telling us you're not in control and everybody losing their fucking minds realizing it It's the secular worldview crumbling at a fundamental level. We're all that there is. (laughs) In comes a virus. You're not all that there is. I exist too. (laughs) We all exist. I brought this up in the context of competition. The reason I did that is because, like I said, I've been going through some very tough realizations in my own life. Realizations around the friends, the people that I've called friends for a very long time, and their effect on me when I try to view it objectively. And realizing that in many ways, they compete with me. And in many ways, I've competed with them in the past too. But that what I'm very, very doing putting a lot of energy into right now is trying to not do that with them. And when you do that, when you try your best to just be, to love whoever it is, or to express yourself truthfully with whoever it is, it has a way of demonstrating this to you. That the, when I speak this kind of truth to people in a conversation, it makes them very uncomfortable that 99% of the time the reaction I get is something like a a competition, an attempt to prove me wrong, right? The funny thing is, is that I'm not trying to convince them of my worldview. I'm not trying to convince any of you of this. I am simply speaking my truth into being. But when you do that and people see it, they get uncomfortable because they recognize it and they say, "Well, well, shit, where's mine? So what do they do? Compete. Do whatever they can to tear down that. To place walls in between you and them. To say, hey, you may have it figured out in that way because it makes them insecure deeply. You may have it figured out in that way, but uh, I got this figured out. Here's this. Cool. (laughs) Good for you. Keep doing that. What I hope for each of you is you to do the exact same friggin' thing, to, to speak unfiltered in some way. And to be critical of yourself as well. I know I'm not perfect, guys. I, I am so imperfect. I am so fucking flawed. And I, it, it's such a burden at times that I, I feel crushed by it, including right now. That the way that this conversation came to being was me trying to find anybody that, had, that actually I could trust that wouldn't try to compete with me when I talked to them. To express myself truthfully. And the only way I could find that was to go to my mother. Somebody who loves me regardless. And that in that I had a realization. This realization. That the people I call friends are not acting as friends. They're labeling me as the other. As somebody that's competing with them. They're projecting what they're doing onto me. And if you're doing that, you're not my friend. People who love you try to raise you up. They encourage you. They speak honestly. They don't hide. They don't wear masks. They don't try to prove to you how much better they are than you at a very fucking fundamental level. I'm very sorry. I'm fr- I'm very frustrated having this realization because i'm realizing that most of the people that i've surrounded myself with do this they do this and i'm also realizing that i have almost i have no friends no true friends none every single person that i've called a friend has done this to me and that is an incredibly lonely fucking place to be When you try to reveal yourself and people do nothing but compete. When I was a kid, my biggest fear, my deepest fear, I remember telling myself this and being terrified of it over and over again, was being alone. Most of my adult life, I am realizing I have been alone. Why have I been alone? Because I've been running away from my fear. I'm I'm not holding people to a high standard. I've allowed people to do that to me. To compete with me. To try to prove that they're better than me. Instead of trying to appreciate whoever I am. Right? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to run away from that fear. If If that means me being alone... I accept that in a weird way. I believe the thing that holds you back. And I've said this before, the things that hold you back from experiencing exactly what you're supposed to experience are your fears. What is my deepest fear? Being alone. How do I get to where I'm supposed to be by sacrificing that, by actually risking it. By saying, hey, if you've competed with me in the past, when I've tried to be honest with you, or I've tried to open up with you, if you've done that, fuck you, go do it to somebody else. Get it? I don't need you. I have everything I need right here. I've always had everything I've needed right here. Me and my belief, my faith is what supports me, not anything else my belief in doing this work that that will produce what's necessary what i need what i truly need that i have i'm very shitty at defining what i need that i want comfort just like you and so that i've tried to comfort myself with people by holding people in relationships around me that are not serving me that are not raising me up that are doing the exact opposite that are competing with me and trying to make me feel insecure in that process trying to get me to play the same fucking game I'm not playing your game I'm speaking my truth like it or not there's the door now I'm sorry for being so aggressive with that guys but I I have to release it It's a, it really is a deep fear of mine so it comes out in those ways Whatever you're dealing with and whatever your fear is, it's going to come out in the same way. I'm not doing it to yell at you. I'm doing it to demonstrate you how deeply painful this is, this process, and that I'm not above that pain. Nobody is. It's necessary. It is the sacrifice you have to make. Make it. Whatever it is. Why? Because we are changing, we are evolving be an early adopter. <laughs> don't wait for everybody else to have the realization when everything is crumbling because I guarantee you guys we don't have this realization it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until we wake the fuck up. It's the universe demanding it. 2020 is not going to stop at 2021 <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. It's going to be a long process. Evolution takes a long time. We talked about in last episode, you can either resist the change. You can, you know, you have certain people you come into contact with. This change happens and you don't understand why. And you can resist that change or you or you can allow it to happen. You can release it. You can release your fears. You can embrace your fears in a way, like I think I just demonstrated, and say, hey, I'm not running anymore. You have all the capability to do that. And that's how we make this leap. That's the evolution. That's how the switch flips on to the inbuilt ability you have, the psychic, the telekinetic abilities, the empathic abilities that you have that are there, that is an evolutionary development. If the human being was to evolve a form of communication outside of language, how would it express itself? Have you ever thought about that? It'd probably be something like that, right? What is Elon Musk trying to develop right now? He's trying to... A neural implant, right? That can... That can... Uh, what's he say? He says it's a... We have a latency problem, right? Between our our, our, our thoughts and our, our ability to communicate... It, or... Uh, uh, no, it's a, it's not a latency problem. It's a... How does he describe it? I'm sorry. I'm having a, a brain fart there. But it's something like um, we're constrained by our ability to express ourselves verbally visually. And that there's a necessity that the machines themselves, like your computer sitting next to you, they can communicate a massive amount of information. Bandwidth is what he describes it as. That, 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 that we have a bandwidth constraint and that our ability to communicate is very 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 slow and primal it's it's still it's 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 archaic in ways especially when in relation to the way a computer communicates the way a machine communicates that it's almost instantaneous that that latency that bandwidth is massive or the, the latency is small the bandwidth is massive and and so That he has this idea that the way that we get over that, the way the evolution is going to happen is by us inventing something, some kind of plant, implant, right? Where we connect everybody like a machine. (laughs) I'm sorry, Elon. I love you in every way, man. I think you're one of the most brilliant people on the face of the planet. You're literally the embodiment of Tesla modern day. But you're wrong there. Consciousness isn't a machine. You can't tap into it that way. I I can tell you what will produce that. You're right about the problem, though. We do have a bandwidth problem. We do have a latency problem. I think the universe is hard at work at that right now. We don't need a fucking chip. (laughs) It's literally like the universe is laughing at us look at these monkeys trying to put a chip in their head. <laughs> Any kind of alien species that actually had the ability to communicate that way. And many alien stories, alien encounter, encounter in story, stories, people speak of them having this kind of ability, or we have this assumption that aliens would have the ability to communicate without talking telekinetically in some way, right? This is the assumption. So if aliens were viewing us, watching us trying to stuff silicone and copper wire into our head stabbing it into specific spots in the brain in order to communicate something as complex as consciousness they would be laughing (laughs) tell me I'm wrong you can't, that's a stupid question, sorry (laughs) so with my problem that I was just speaking of a feeling is lonely, feeling isolated, feeling as though people, I haven't really met an individual that wants the best for me, like I would want for them. I really, I mean, I feel like that seems disingenuous in some way, just saying that, that I want the best for you. But I really do. I don't know how else to describe it. I want you to be as truthful and happy to find true happiness just In this in not necessarily in the same way, but just to find it. I really want that for you. You know what I mean? If you don't want that for other people, you should really be asking yourself why. Why don't you want that for other people? I'm not gonna settle. I'm not going to make the mistake that I see a lot of people do. They make it romantically and they make it in friendships as well. They get so scared of this loneliness feeling. I think the loneliness feeling is a very deeply held fear for most people. The quickest way you can drive somebody crazy is to isolate them. So what do we do in a world that idolizes comfort and things and money? As soon as we come across something that fits even slightly, we grab it because it solves that problem quotation marks mm, no it doesn't it does the same thing that trying to solve your happiness with a boat would do <laughs> it does nothing but comfort you for a little bit and then you look at the divorce rate and the suicide rate and the depression rate those don't seem out of line to me seems pretty damn accurate but yeah we're sitting here trying to solve those too with pills like those are an inherent problem no, they're, they're literally a representation of the problem. People are addicted to comfort. They're led astray. They're disconnected from deeper meaning, from true happiness. They're trying to solve it with things that can't. And so when they do that enough, they get depressed. When they do that with a romantic partner, they get divorced once or twice or three or four times. They do that with friends. They say, oh, they want the best for me. When you have examples every day of them trying to put you down in subtle ways, of them trying to compete with you, you settle. You say, yeah, but nobody's perfect. (laughs) True. You aren't either. But you shouldn't allow yourself to believe that there isn't somebody that resonates with exactly who you are, that would love exactly who you are unfiltered, and that would want that every single day, that wouldn't want to compete with that, that would want to show exactly who they are, and that you would love, fuck, you'd love that about them. Wanting to show themselves every single day. God, how deep of a connection is that? If that's not love, I don't know what is. Two people being truthful and honest with each other. What is love based in trust? Truth. We don't have a problem with lowering our standards. Y'all motherfuckers need to raise them. That's what I'm trying to do too. I'm sorry for the language, man. I'm being very aggressive. I need to stop with the language. I know it's way too aggressive. I have a potty mouth, <laughs> sailor mouth. I'm I was from military guys. Like it it goes with the territory, right? It's definitely one of my flaws I need to work on. I'm sorry for I didn't mean to call you guys that term. That was very very mean. I'm sorry. But hey, I'm not perfect. <laughs> You need to raise your standards. You need to realize that there is those people out there for you that would want the best for you, and that would love exactly who you are, and that would want to see you develop exactly who you are, to be better and better at expressing it, and to be better and better at bringing that into reality, and that there's a connection that you can make with those kind of people that is something like what's necessary for humanity to to, to grow, to evolve. And then I hope you do that. And then I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the unfounded podcast. I hope it wasn't too aggressive for you. I hope I didn't offend any of my listeners and have them shut it off immediately. when I started cussing at you guys, not my intention. Like I said, I hope it demonstrated what I was trying to talk about. Uh, but I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying strong with sober October. As I went over in this, that's what it's all about guys. That's, that's what sober October is about. It's not just about drugs and alcohol. It's, sobriety is about figuring out what you use as crutches, like I said in the other episodes, what comforts you. And that doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. That can be a lot of different things. At the same time, don't be too hard on yourself. Recognize that this is a journey, not a jump, right? That it takes a very long time for us to get to any kind of space of truth, especially when we've been led astray in such a deep way. So be easy on yourself. Start with trying to figure out how to love yourself. How to truly love who you are. All the flaws included. There's a way that you can take your past, even though I don't like to talk about the past, I don't like to keep people in that mindset, but it's, it's there regardless in your mind. We make that kind of a reality, right? So it's like, if there's things that you're ashamed of in your past, if there's parts of you that you don't like, that feel attached to what you've done in the past. Figure out a way to turn those around. And I think the way you turn those around is by recognizing the incredible power of now that you have now always. That what makes you different immediately is your ability to look at those things and recognizing And recognize that those were not who you are. Those were the evil thing coming out of you. It was the archetype of the devil reaching out of you. It was your ego. It was you competing with other people. It was you looking to the external world for what you already have internally. And that you don't need to do that anymore. As a matter of fact, it's necessary that you do not do that anymore. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you're doing well. Lots of love. Good night.